This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, you're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go beyond the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Philip C. Now, today's show, I speak to Sha Hua. She's a reporter in the Wall Street Journal's Singapore Bureau, as we have a discussion with her on her recent article titled, A Nation Goes for Dominance of the World's Stinkiest Fruit. We get her insights into why the Chinese increasingly love their durians, and we ask her the lengths the Chinese would go to to meet this growing appetite for this very thorny fruit. Good morning, Sha. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, I'm very intrigued, right? Why did the Wall Street Journal decide this was a very interesting story to cover for their global readers? What was the motivation for you to look into the story? I guess it started with um, John, my bureau chief, and I just, um, you know, sending each other uh, stories about durians. Because I guess for uh, non-Southeast Asians or non-Asians, there's something inherently funny about durians because they're spiky and they're smelly. But uh, for some reason, people here in this region love this fruit, right? Um, and we could see that there was obviously real business um, behind durians and that, you know, China's appetite for durians had exploded over the last few years. So we were discussing how to maybe approach this topic and approach it in a way that actually also gets our readers to care a little bit about this. Because, you know, I mean, the, I think this is always very important to bear in mind. Uh, the Wall Street Journal is an American newspaper and a lot of its readers are in the United States. So a lot of things that are happening in Southeast Asia or Asia just seem very, very far away, unless you can make it somewhat appealing. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then we saw a lot of discussions in China about uh, so-called uh, Dorian freedom and people saying, you know, we have to sort of learn how to grow Dorian so that we can also service our own demand and um, do better in that respect and actually also make sure that um, Dorians remain somewhat affordable. Can we deep dive on this concept of Dorian freedom? It feels like we're trying to liberate durians from the, you know, captivity of evil Southeast Asians. But that's not the case, isn't it? This is really about making it affordable and accessible to the local Chinese population. Yeah, so I think it's uh, it's actually from another term, cherry freedom. And it's actually freedom to afford something. I mean, people always think about freedom just as a term of freedom of oppression in the West. But I think in other places you can also think about the freedom to just do what you want and to actually uh, afford what you can right because a few years ago China had this debate about cherry freedom and it was about the freedom and the income to afford cherries because they're a little expensive and I think um, while I was looking into the story what I found interesting about durians is that they are obviously a sort of middle class fruit for China they are not cheap. So you have to have some sort of income in order to actually afford the durian. I hate durians. I have to be honest with you. And you frame it as an aspirational fruit, really. And I can get the logic of cherries being kind of an aspirational fruit, right? Because it's associated with, you know, the higher classes when you attach it to a certain higher income spend. I'm interested and intrigued how durian has been able to capture the imagination of the middle income and even perhaps upper middle income Chinese to make it so aspirational? So maybe 
first things first, um, you know, I grew up in Germany. So for example, for me, cherries are not aspirational at, at all. Very because interesting. They grow up, they, they grow in the orchards of a lot of people, right? So for me, it's just a run-of-the-mill fruit. Um, and I guess it has something to do with exotic, right? And something that you cannot grow yourself. Whatever you can't have yourself or grow yourself very easily becomes more expensive. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing about durians is that they uh, they look very sturdy and hard on the outside, but they're actually very um, sensitive. They need to be, um, I think, uh, temperatures can't drop below 22 degrees for more than 10 days. And, you know, the soil has to be a certain way in order for the durian to thrive. And um, it's just a heavy fruit. Um, it's difficult to actually access the, the flesh, right? Because the uh, shell is spiky. So, you know, if you have a durian that weighs like two kilos, you're paying a lot, even if, if all you want is to get the flesh. And I think because it has this exoticism, it became this sort of aspirational fruit in China. And very interesting, right? As you say, the exterior looks hardy, sturdy, substantive, but actually it takes a lot of TLC and it's really pretty sensitive fruit. And that, I think, even adds to the appeal to it because it's not that easy to produce. But I just want to build on this point you made, which is it's available everywhere. I wonder from the psyche of a Chinese, right, when something becomes aspirational is the solution to have a homegrown economy around it as opposed to try and import it, right? It seems like for China, the market is so big and the land is so vast that perhaps the solution whenever there's anything that's aspirational is to try and be able to replicate it back home in China. I think it's just the country that sees a business opportunity and goes okay, for it. So it's a bit more transactional. And find, find yeah, I, I think, I mean, the guy that I interviewed for the story, the Hainan farmer, um, you know, he started off finding durians disgusting. I mean, you know, he, he hated the smell and he was like, why would anyone eat it? But he also saw that it had taken off in China. Mm. So he was like, this is obviously a massive business opportunity. And if I can ride this wave, I'm going to ride this wave. Yeah. The durian sort of first, I think, really entered Chinese consciousness with um, uh, Casino Mogul. Stanley Ho came to Sing- Singapore and um, flew back a bunch of durians um, and gave them as presents to Li Kaxing amongst other people. And I think that's the first time when people heard about this mystical fruit that was so precious and so special that someone would actually fly them back on a private plane. So I think that's when people first started getting interested in it. And you can also see that um, when Xi Jinping actually visited Malaysia, during a banquet, he said, you know, what Chinese people know is this and this about Malaysia, and they know about the durian. But, you know, it was still very low key because actually the other thing about durians is that you need very good logistics. Once it falls off the tree, it only stays fresh for two days. So you have to find a way to get whatever you have very quickly into China, right? Mm -hmm. And then I guess people in Thailand, at least, discovered freezing (laughs) um, to freeze durians and uh, to package them and ship them to China. And um, the, I guess, most important thing that then happened, apart from figuring out the logistics, was that um, Alibaba signed a deal with Thailand to sell like billions worth of uh, durians within three years. And uh, when they announced it, um, you know, in Bangkok, 
Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba, was actually given a basket of two golden pillow durians. And there are lots of pictures of him like very proudly standing around for those durians. But obviously what it what this Alibaba deal did was it made durians widely accessible through Taobao. And you can see from the numbers that within 2018, when I think it was first announced until like 2022, the amount of durians grew four times. I mean, that's massive. Yeah. And obviously, Thailand was the main beneficiary of this move. And I think the majority of durians that China consumes comes from Thailand because Thailand has this deal where they can export frozen durians. Yeah. Whereas Malaysia says, we only eat fresh durians, which makes it obviously much harder um, to actually export it. Which is a very interesting point to follow up through. The consumption pattern of China in terms of the durian, are they very different from how Southeast Asians consume durians? Do they have very different consumption patterns? Because in Malaysia, it's highly seasonal. It's done with groups like durian parties. It's a very collective affair. I wonder how the Chinese consume durians. I think it sort of depends a little bit because I think durians were actually somewhat widely known in southern China, mm-hmm. obviously due to the proximity to um, Southeast Asia. And, you know, you can find durians in all sorts of cooked food like soups and <laughs> noodles. Um, you know, maybe this is now the time to confess that I too have no passion for durian. <laughs> But it's it's sort of interesting because we looked a little bit into the data of durian, um, like where in China do people buy durians? Yeah. And you can see that it's still mostly like a southern and coastal thing. But it's slowly, the durian is slowly uh, moving north, oh, yeah, north. and, um, you know, conquering the northern market as well. Um, you know, and I guess like you can eat durian, I guess, a dried fruit as well. But it's not... I, I think people don't necessarily think of it as something that you consume fresh. We are heading into some messages and when we come back, we continue our discussion with Shahua, reporter in the Wall Street Journal's Singapore Bureau Office about the Chinese growing love interest in the durian. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Today on the show, I have with me Shahua, reporter in the Wall Street Journal from the Singapore Bureau, as we discuss about the Chinese love affair for the durian. Shah, now you're seeing durian becoming actually an increasingly geopolitical tool because over in Malaysia, many Chinese eaters have visited us in our shores and it always invariably, you know, involves a durian party. I wonder if this fruit has an appeal that is broader than just purely commercial. I mean, I would say this. I think, um, you know, Chinese farmers trying to grow their own durians, this is about business. This is about them wanting to do business. And I don't think, I mean, I think in our story, we also point out that even if, because durians can only grow in a tropical climate and China only has very little territory that's actually climate, tropical, even if China were to cover that area only with durian trees, it would not be able to satisfy its domestic demand, mm-hmm. even like a little bit, right? But I think there is something called Dorian diplomacy. And I think the idea behind it is really China has a big consumer market and Southeast Asia um, can produce a lot to satisfy that consumer market, especially in the agricultural sector. And Xi Jinping and other Chinese leaders have said, look, I mean, we are willing to buy like billions of worth of agricultural products in the future, right? Which is a huge opportunity for Southeast Asia in terms of 
income like and just business opportunities prosperity you know and this is obviously something that a lot of southeast asian countries are therefore also very interested in i mean you know everyone so thailand and malaysia were the first ones to get licenses to export the durian to china but then obviously now vietnam and the philippines and everyone else is trying to join in right and one of the funny things, I thought it was funny, but it's actually also serious, is that, for example, the train that China um, is building along Southeast Asia, a lot of people joke that what this train does is it um, shortens the travel for durians. <laughs> but I think behind it is also because my colleagues and I were also talking about this. You know, this is this is the gravitational pull of the Chinese economy. And it also is actually a good example of how difficult it is for America to compete against this gravitational economic pull, right? Because um, who can compete against 1.4 billion stomachs, yeah. especially when it comes to the durian, which is something that a lot of Western stomachs may not actually uh, take to. And then it's also a fruit that requires a certain level of income. So it's not as if you can try to market it to India very easily at this very moment, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that's a little bit the more serious underlying geopolitical aspect. Yeah. And um, what then comes up in some conversations is um, memories of the banana blockade. Because obviously <laughs> the problem is once you sell a lot to a market and that is basically your biggest market in your single market, more or less, you become very dependent. Mm -hmm. And if that market then says uh, no, you know, you're going to be in deep trouble. And this is a little bit the danger, right? If mm -hmm. Southeast Asia becomes too economically dependent, overly dependent and the need for diversification there. Right, but it's very difficult with the durian. Where else do you want to sell that many exactly. durians? Yes. You know, with China, you said that it can only grow in tropical climes. So fundamentally, Hainan Island is really being targeted as a place for domestic harvesting and production of durians. How easy has it been for the Chinese to produce their own homegrown durians? I mean, you know, um, I think, so we quote another guy that I actually went to see in Malaysia, Gerald Miao. Um, who says that China doesn't ha have indigenous durian talent. And that's because people didn't grow up with a durian, right? So you sort of don't really understand how the tree works, what it needs. You haven't really researched it either. So China uh, has been struggling to grow durians. Um, you know, I think they, they had one attempt in the 1960s. It didn't go very far. And... Um, it wasn't, uh, you know, and at the time people didn't really care about the durian. So I guess they just gave up. And now as the durian becomes more popular, uh, farmers are trying again, but because they are so inexperienced, they make a lot of mistakes. And this is why they then turn to other people for their expertise, right? And this is again, Gerald Miao. I mean, you know, uh, I grew up again in Europe, so I don't really know a lot about um, Southeast Asia's history and diaspora, Chinese diaspora history. And what I found very astonishing when I went to Malaysia was that the durian supply chain um, seems to be dominated by Chinese Malaysians. And when I was doing my reporting, I could just spend, I spent two days speaking Chinese. I didn't have to speak Malay, Malay right? Um, and I was a little astonished. But then at the same time, people kept explaining to me, you know, I mean, 
you need quite a bit of capital to get into the durian business because durians take time before they start fruiting. Yeah. And that means that you're burning cash for the first five, six, seven years. And a lot of people don't have the deep pockets, especially in Malaysia. Malay farmers don't necessarily have deep pockets. So this is, a, again, an opportunity for people of Chinese ethnic descent. Mm. And I think it'd be very interesting that we might see more industrial production of durians, right, in view of the structure of the industry being capital intensive and being so sensitive, it will require the economies of scale, right? You're going to see the likelihood of that or not really? Uh, I'm not sure whether you can really, I mean, you know, I'm really not a food expert here, but obviously at the end of the day, you need to plant enough durians in order to produce enough durians, right? The, you you can have some facilities for packaging and all this kind of stuff, but mm. at the end of the day, how much you can produce is ultimately dependent on how much you plant. Mm. I wonder in your view and estimation, what is the next fruit or diplomacy? What do you think is the next soft power influence that China and Southeast Asia can nurture together? Do you think it's another fruit? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I will also say I really, I feel very humbled um, coming to Singapore because I don't know much about Southeast Asia. So I find it always very strange when people confidently assert things, right? And I just don't know um, what things that um, Southeast Asia and China can do together um, to nurture something. I do, I will say though that um, I think uh, Asia in general cares about food. So hopefully um, whatever they nurture together will be something delicious. That was Shahua reporting in the Wall Street Journal about the Chinese love interest in the durian. This has been Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. News Bulletin followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the BFM app.